Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. So now I am so, so excited to introduce um, our guest speaker today. Um, I was sharing this with the staff. Um, you know, in your life, it's so, so important to get people who really are stronger in God. They're ahead in the things of God and who have a heart to pull you higher. Very, very important. You can find people who will criticize you, pull you down, hang out with you, but not do much for you. But to find someone who will pull you higher that is a very rare and precious thing, but you should search for that, okay? And it's important in life that while someone is pulling you higher, how many know we have a responsibility to pull someone else higher too? Come on, somebody say amen. And so who's pushing you up? Who's pulling you up? Who are you pulling up? Big part of the Christian walk. And Pastor Durso, and, and Pastor Maria, they have been like locomotives. They have been like the big giant train that pulls so many people. And in the goodness of God, Chrissy and I got on that train too. And for years, they've been pulling us for years. You know, when, I, I, when we got our first like big assignment, I was 28 years old. Chrissy was 25, I think. And um, we took this church of a thousand people. I was overwhelmed. I had never preached before. Who did I call? Pastor Durso. He, he, I'm sure he doesn't remember this conversation. And I was so overwhelmed and he prayed for me and he said, Al, look, just get up real early and seek God. And if you get up real early and seek God, I had little kids, it was just, he said, God is gonna walk you through this. And that's when I really started, okay? Getting up early started because Pastor Durso said, God will help you if you'll just get up early and seek him, he's gonna help you. And that absolutely, that's one of hundreds of moments that I've had with Pastor Durso, with Pastor Maria, where they've spoken into our lives. We are so happy when we're with them because it's like having mom and dad, grandma, grandpa, her grandma and grandpa are here. And it's such a blessing to CT and to PT. And we're online right now with a Philadelphia Tabernacle. Hello, everyone there. Come on, let's put our hands together for Philly Tab. I am so thrilled that you guys get to be ministered to by Pastor Durso. He and Maria are gonna come visit in Philadelphia in the near future, but I'm so excited. Would you join me? Could we give a warm Chicago and Philadelphia Tabernacle welcome to Pastor Durso. Maria, would you stand? Come on, let's put our hands together for her as well. Come on, come on, Philadelphia Tab. 
for all the singers and musicians and technicians. Come on, let's be grateful. For those watching our children, for those who showed us our seat, to the technicians, to everyone involved, and to Jesus. Come on, come on, come on. Lord, your word tells us what to give thanks in everything, and we are so grateful. This is your day. We're in your house. There was a time we might not be found in your house, but today, this today you made me rejoice. And we're grateful for all that you have done so far. And we're leaning on you to continue to abide with us. Bless our time. Bless your people, I pray. Not only here, but wherever your people are gathered. And I pray this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. And one more time. One more time. One more time. You can't say thanks enough. And um, it's an honor for my wife and I to be here. We love you guys. And that's just not pulpit rhetoric. We love you guys. This is such a great church. You've got great pastors, Pastor Al and Chrissy and the whole team, their family. In fact, I leaned over to my wife because I have these, I have these 10 very oily, spongy fingers, Italian fingers. You know what I mean? Like I, I can rub a pot with cooking and I can just fry a steak in them. So I often touch my glasses and my glasses get all messed up. And so I leaned over to my wife. Do we have like one of those wipes? And then someone behind me handed me one. Come on. This is an incredible church. Even if you need to clean your glasses, someone's right there to serve you. Amazing. Amazing. Well, once again, I could never say it enough that uh, I'm really happy to be here. We love you guys. And um, I want to talk to you about something Jesus said in the last 24 hours of his life. When you read the Gospel of John, that's an interesting gospel because he addresses some things that the other gospel writers did not address. He wrote his gospel years later after the other three. And, uh, and in fact, it only covers 18 days of, of Jesus' life, only 18 days. But he was very focused on the last 24 hours. In fact, chapters 13 to 17 in the Gospel of John have to deal with the last 24 hours of Jesus. And um, it begins, which most of you probably know this, that it begins with Jesus, with the disciples, planning to celebrate the Passover um, in the upper room in Jerusalem. Most of them did not live in Jerusalem, so they had to travel there, which was mandatory for Jewish men to be in Jerusalem at least three times a year. So they had this upper room, and they were going to celebrate the Passover. But Jesus had some other plans. Of course, that's where we get the communion from. And um, it tells us in John's gospel that uh, they gathered in the upper room, and Luke tells us that they were arguing, which is pretty interesting. They were arguing over who's first. Now, it's kind of, really? Can you imagine being in a room with 12 of your buddies and you've been with Jesus for three years and one of them says, you know, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty good. No, no, you're not, I'm better than you. No, no, I'm really great. I mean, this is the conversation that was going on after three years with the Lord. And so Jesus had to give them a, a lesson, a teaching lesson, and he bends down and he washes the feet, all 12 pairs, which includes Judas. And then he begins to explain things to them about that uh, he's going to have to go away and they're not going to be able to go with him and that uh, he's going to send the, the promise of the Father, the, the gift, the comforter. 
and that one of them will betray them, and they're a little shocked by that. Now, when we know this because we've read the gospel story, so we know the end, but that night, they didn't know any of this. They were just kind of, what is he talking about? And washing our feet, and a lot of things were going on, and uh, he knew that he was going to be betrayed, and he told them that. Uh, in fact, he knew that there was going to be such friction going on that in the first verse of chapter 13, the Bible says, and he loved them to the end. Do you know he loves us to the end? He knows the things that we're going to do that are not the best, but he still loves us to the end. And he mentions during this dinner that he's going away, and he goes, I want to give them a new command. That's the verse I want you to read to you. I want to read to you. John 13, 34. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Do we have that up? Yeah. Let, let's read that together. Can we do that? Ready? A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Three times in that verse, he uses the word love. In, in the first 12 chapters of John's gospel, he mentions love 12 times. In the remaining chapters, he mentions it 44 times. I think John, through the power of the Holy Spirit, wanted, to get, wanted us to get to realize something. He says a new command. That's important because the command to love is not new. In fact, go back to Leviticus 19. Uh, Moses wrote that we must love God with all our heart, soul, and mind and love one another. When Jesus was being pressured by the Pharisees about the greatest commandment, he repeated this commandment in Matthew and Mark about we are to love one another as we love ourselves. But the reason why this is new is this is a whole new, a whole new level. This is new because he says, love one another as I have loved you. As I, in fact, as you must love one another as I have loved you. You know, it's one thing to love one another or for me to love you as I love myself because I love myself. But for me to love you as Christ has loved me, that's on a whole nother level. That means I have to love regardless of what's convenient or inconvenient, what's pleasant or what's not pleasant, what's comfortable or not comfortable. In fact, when you think about it, I have to love you or you have to love me as Christ has loved us. Do you know Christ loved us while we were yet sinners? Romans 5.8. On our worst day, he loved us. On our worst day. Jesus loved us with all our flaws, with all our failures, with all our faults. And he says that's how we to love one another. With all their faults, with all their failures, with all their flaws. Um, he loved us when we sinned. He loved us when we were obnoxious. He loved us when we were immoral, when we were greedy, when we were selfish, when we were obnoxious. He loved, he didn't love the sin. No, 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 he died for sin. Don't ever make light of sin. But he loved us in spite of our sin. And uh, he's telling us now we don't love one another as he has loved us. And did you notice? Uh, it's not a suggestion. It's not a command. He says, you must love one another. It's a new command. And um, it's something, it's a new mandate that God is giving them and giving us that this 
this, this feeling of love for one another is so important to God. And, and remember this, maybe I've told you this before, but if, you, if we only believe what we like in the Bible um, and then reject what we don't like, then we don't believe the Bible, we believe ourselves. And that's definitely not wise. Uh, A.W. Tozer, for all the saints in Philly, A.W. Tozer, he was a pastor there in Philadelphia, well, in Pennsylvania, and he says this, he wrote this years ago, the act of committing to Christ for salvation releases the believer from the penalty of sin, but it does not release him or her from the obligation to obey the words of Christ. If we love Jesus, we obey him. And he's giving us a command where we must love one another as he have loved us. And um, in that room, in the upper room, he wasn't talking to the crowds like in the Sermon on the Mount. He was talking to his team. He was talking to his, his small group. He was talking to, at that point, his church. Like what we're talking about right here. The community groups that are in this room, the, the church that's in this room, the small groups that are here, the team that is here. We are to love one another as Christ loved the church. In Philadelphia Tabernacle, you are to love one another as Christ loves the church. Hallelujah. Now, the disciples, as we all do, they had relational issues. I already mentioned that they argued on my count, I think, three times in records of the Gospels that they argued. They had different personalities. Uh, they had family, Peter uh, and, and, and uh, Peter and Silas, excuse me, Andrew and Peter and James and John, they were cousins and brothers. They were family. Um, so that can go a little sideways. At some, not here. In Queens it does, but not here. Um, they had friends, Philip and Nathaniel. They were friends. They could have had relational issues. Uh, they had Simon the Zealot, who was one of these. A zealot was someone, a Jew, a Jew who was so strong for, for Judaism that he would kill the Romans if he could. He hated them. So Simon the Zealot is a part of the team, and then so is Matthew, the tax collector, who was despised by the Romans and hated by the Jews because he was a Jew who worked for the Romans. And God puts all these people together. And he says to them, Simon and Matthew and Philip and Nathaniel and Andrew and Simon and James, love one another as I have loved you, as I've put up with you, as I've uh, um, compromised with you. Put up with one another. You must love one another. That's the degree of the command that we're given. Those are the, some of the last words Jesus said on the night before he was crucified. Now, we probably all know that saint, that brother, that sister, um, that might be difficult to love. Well, be careful. It might be you, you know. <laughs> so... Be very, don't, don't start looking at your neighbor. Don't start poking your spouse, you know. But, but there are those people that are not compatible. Good word, right? Um, and yet, they're the ones we're told to love. I mean, they have different interests. We're all in the same church, but they have different interests. They, they worship differently. They, they express their praise differently. One might be a little bit more conservative, and the other one might be a little bit more animated. And the Bible says, regardless of your opinion of their worship or praise, you got to love them. It might be the choice of attire, the way someone dresses. 
Uh, it might be the makeup they may wear or the, or the body piercings they have or the tattoos. And you could have certain opinions of that. You can have a, your opinion, whatever you want. But according to the word of God, you must love them as Christ has loved you. Yeah. And as mismatched as the disciples were, selfish and sinful and prideful at times, they were still given, as we're given, the same command. Love one another. And, uh, well, well, how am I going to do that, Pastor Durst? So, well, God did promise the gift, the promise, the, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the one who's going to empower. That's how we're able to love one another. In and of ourselves, no, we can't. I'll be the first one to admit that. But with the power of God working in us, the privilege, the promise of the Holy Spirit, we can. We can love it. We can even love the unlovely. Because Jesus loved us when we were unlovely. We can even love those that have uh, re, uh, doctrinal differences, theologies different, uh, philosophy different, uh, Christian philosophy different than ours. Um, and uh, you might not agree with someone. You could agree to disagree. But you can't dismiss the command that you're to love one another, even when we have differences. I mean, think about the body of Christ. Um, you know, there's only one name in the Bible, and it calls us believers or saints. But, you know, we have Presbyterians, we have Baptists, we have Catholics, we got Pentecostals, we got Charismatics, we got Lutherans, we got Episcopalians. We, did I forget any? Presbyterians, did I leave out the Presbyterians? I hope not. Methodist, thank you. We have all kinds of different denominations. And we obviously don't agree eye to eye with each other. But we got to love one another. According to Jesus, we are to love. The distinguishing mark of us being Christians is not what our theology is. It's what we're about us loving one another. It's how we treat one another. Is it easy? No. It's not easy. Um, otherwise... Um, we could do it without God, but we can't. But it has to be doable because Jesus wouldn't have told us or commanded us to do something that was impossible. I told you that uh, John wrote his gospel somewhere around 90 AD. Of course, people differ, but they, they say around 90 AD, and that's why he included things like the raising of Lazarus or the changing of water into wine. The other gospel writers did not. Um, but he repeated this command. And this is what struck me, because the, God doesn't exaggerate. Um, and yet this command is repeated, even that one night. I already told you in John 13, 34, where he says that he gave us a new command, that we must love one another as Christ has loved us. Well, that same night in the same room, John 15, 12, it says this, my command is this. He repeats that word again. Love each other as I have loved you. He already said it earlier, but he's repeating it again. I don't think Jesus just repeated things to hear himself talk. He was trying to drive something home because we all can forget. We all can forget. In John, same, John 15, the same night, verse 17, this is my command that you love each other again. And now... Fast forward 10 years, around 100 AD, John is writing to the other campuses. He's an older man now. He's one of the fathers in the faith. And he's writing to some of the other campuses. And he writes 1 John, his first letter besides the gospel. John 2.10, he says this, Anyone who loves their brother or sister lives in the light. However, anyone, this is 2.11, anyone who hates a brother or sister is in, is in the dark. Wait, I can hate a brother or a sister? 
Well, I guess it's possible. Otherwise, the Bible wouldn't include that. We're talking about the family of God. Same, same letter to the, to the campus, 1 John 3.11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. You should have loved one another. John 3.14. Anyone who does not love remains in death. John 3.15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to churches that have been birthed. John, uh, 1 John 3.18, dear children, a, ter a term of endearment, let us not love with words of speech, but with acts of the truth. Because we can say, oh, I love that brother, oh, I love that sister, but our behavior says something else. First John 3.23, and this is his command, to love one another as he commanded us. John 4.7, dear friends, another term of endearment, let us love one another, for love comes from God. 4.8, Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. 419, we love because he first loved us. This is a repeated statement. 1 John 420, whoever claims to love God and hates a brother or sister is a liar. Why would, why would John be writing this to believers? Because unfortunately it can happen. Because we're all flawed. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit to do what God has told us to do. 1 John 4, 21, he has given us this command, again, that word. Remember, this is 10 years after he wrote the gospel. And, and 70 years after, really, um, uh, when Jesus first said this. Anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. 2 John, now another letter to another campus. And it seems like the, the woman that he's writing to was the pastor of that campus or the leader. Now, dear lady, first, this is 2 John 1, 5. Now, dear lady. I am not writing you a new command. It's not new now. It's 70 years old. But one we've heard from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. Man, you think God wants us to get this? I mean, you can imagine we do a lot of things for God. Missions and work with the children and teens and work in the community. And, and yet we don't love one another in the house. It's difficult at times. And uh, because I said, you know, we're all fallen creatures. And apart from Christ, we can be selfish and stingy and self-absorbed. You ever notice you never have to teach a, ch a child to say mine? Mine. Me all. Me all. You don't have to teach them that. It's just natural. It's an eight. Um, and emotions sometimes get in the way and they can distort our, our perspective. Um, but he... He wrote this because there are times that people might be unlovable. And that doesn't give us an excuse to not love them. Well, you know, I, I don't think I could do that. Well, apart from God, you can't. Apart from God, I can't. But according to Philippians 4.13, we can. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Which means God can help us love the unlovely. God can help us love that person that may be difficult to love. You know, that, that ex-spouse, that parent that may have not treated you well, that child that disrespected you. We can do all things through Christ who loves us. Now, it doesn't mean that you agree with everything that they agree with. It doesn't mean that, you know, you could, uh, you, 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 you would say yes to what they're doing, to their behavior. Um, you know, you can, people can believe what they want to believe. They have a right to do that, but what they believe doesn't mean that it's right. 
And so we have to make sure we stand strong in God. But loving one another doesn't mean I approve of their behavior. Um, love corrects. Ooh. There's another word that's kind of strong. Love rebukes. Uh, remember when uh, Peter was, Jesus was telling him that disciples he had to go to the cross. And Peter said, no, no, you won't. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. That was a rebuke. Pastor Toledo, when was the last time you told somebody to get behind me, Satan? I mean, that's, a, that's a strong, and he said that in front of the other disciples. Or what about when James and John wanted to rain down fire on Samaria? That's a godly thing to do uh, because they wouldn't receive Jesus and Jesus rebuked them. Love will rebuke. Doesn't mean it agrees with everything. It, the apostle Paul who founded the church in Corinth, which is in Greece, a uh, great church, you read the first 10 verses. I mean, this church excelled with teaching and with leaders and with all the gifts, but they had some issues, like every church, like every church. And um, Paul had to address things like divorce and prejudice and racism and selfishness and bringing Christians to uh, court and getting drunk at communion. There's a kicker, getting drunk at communion. Um, but he also had a deal in the fifth chapter about a young man that was sleeping with his stepmom. Talk about immorality. Talk about incest. And uh, Paul says, you have to ask them to leave. <gasps> That's not a kind church. Well, well it is. Because sin spreads. It goes airborne. And it's contagious. And uh, sometimes the rebuke will cause someone to Wake up. In fact, when you read the second letter, you find out that the young man is restored. So obviously he was convicted. But they had to tell him, don't even eat with him. That could seem like a loveless church, but it's not a loveless church. It's taking care of the church, making sure that the rebuke will clean it. Look, if you have a dirty dish, you clean it, right? You don't eat from it. That was good, dirt. So I really thought about that right here. That was really good. <laughs> we got to love one another according to God's word. And... Um, it's not based on the fact that we agree on everyone or with everyone. In fact, it's not based on race. In fact, let me say this on a side note. If you have a problem with race or races, you're going to hate heaven. Because heaven is every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Yeah. So really, God would be doing me a favor if I was a racist not to bring me to heaven. Because why would I want to be there with all those other people? You know, none of us had a choice in what race we would be. We were formed in our mother's womb. It was all God, so you got to take that up with God, and that would be a losing battle anyway. Uh, whether we're black or white, brown, yellow, red, tall, small, young, old, we are to love one another. Amen. The mark of a true believer is not whether I wear a cross around my neck or a attend church often. The mark of a true believer is whether I love one another. In Philadelphia Tabernacle, in Chicago Tabernacle, we need to love one another. Why? Here's the why. Verse 35. John 13, 35. By this, by what? By us loving one another. By us loving one another because God commanded us to love one another. We must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. You are my followers. You are my little Christ. My, if you love one another. So that means 
If our church is going to demonstrate the love of God, we're going to love one another. That's how people will know that we are God's disciple. Not how pretty our building is. Not how many songs we sing. Those are all good. But the world will know, everyone will know, that we are his disciples by our love for one another. Tertullian was uh, a Roman born to a Roman centurion. And um, he loved the games in the Colosseum. As ridiculous as they were, he loved to watch the gladiators kill Christians. He loved to watch them send out the starving lions and bears to destroy Christians. He would go to those games. He loved the immorality of Rome because Rome had no moral compass. Um, But after watching these games for a while, he got convicted and became a Christian because he writes in one of his early writings, he says, see how they love one another, that they would die for one another. And he became an early father of the church and a great influence in North Africa. It was the fact that they were willing to die for one another that caused this Roman citizen to become a Christian. Uh, in, in, in closing, the Apostle Paul founded a church, as I said earlier, in, in Greece. And this church was amazing. It's the Church of Corinth. And um, as I mentioned, they had a lot of issues that Paul had to deal with. Um, but he, he, he knew there was this lack of love. There was the rich were not waiting for the poor. Uh, there was a caste system, people getting drunk. And so he had to remind them of this important commandment. And um, oftentimes at weddings, people want to use this passage, and it's fine. But, it, but in the context, it was written to Christians because there was a lack of love. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gone or clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm annoying. <laughs> Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move, move mountains, that's impressive. All wisdom, all knowledge, and faith that, has, that miracles follow. But do not have love, I have nothing. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, or some translations say martyred, that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Musicians, maybe you can come and join us. Singers, please. Love is patient. There's about 15 characteristics. I won't read them all. But love is patient. Love is kind. That's, that's key. Love is kind. Because you can be right and be unkind. If you're right and unkind, you're wrong. If we're going to be right, we've got to remain kind. Love is kind. Love is not envy. Why did she get the solo? Why didn't they ask me to preach? It's not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Love never fails. Hey, singers, could we, could we, um, am I the only singer? Get up here. Prepare the way. Could you sing that song again? Prepare the way. Come on up here and help me with that. I'll take a few more moments. Um, 
for us to do what God has called us to do here in Chicago and in Philadelphia, we have to love one another. I mean, that sounds so simple that it's almost foolish, but it wasn't foolish to God. We could do a lot of great things for the Lord, but if we don't love one another, genuinely love one another, remember, remember the criteria, the way God loved us. I don't know about you, but when I think back, back in the day, I did some really ugly things. If, if, if they were to put them on the screen, all my failures, all my faults, all my sins, all my wrong, I would be, I would be so embarrassed. But God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He casts our sins, our failures, our faults, as far as the east is from the west, which you can't even measure. Can't even measure. Life is tough. I get it. Ministry is tough. And things could happen. And but you got wait, 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 wait. But you but you, you gotta you gotta let it go. Wait, 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 sister, wait, wait, sister. You're louder than my microphone. Sister, wait, 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 wait. We'll do it in a moment. We'll do it in a moment all together. But let, let, me, let me remind us, let me remind us that love, love covered us. We need to cover one another. And as I was saying, life is tough, ministry is tough. Let me say this. We got to let go of some things. Because if you hang on to them, you're not going to love them. Cruel things happen, yes, to all of us. Nobody's exempt. If you've been a parent long enough, your kids hurt you. If your parents weren't raised in, with the things of God, they probably hurt you. If you've been through a messy divorce, you're hurt. We gotta let it go. Because the Bible tells me I have to love you and you have to love me. We must love. A command. Christ has loved us. So, wherever our church is, Philadelphia, Chicago, New York, we all have the same command. And we all got to believe God to work in us in such a way that we can do what God has commanded us to. So we can be the church God's called us. He's coming back. That's what we're going to sing about in a moment. He's coming back, not for a blemish church. He's coming for a church without wrinkles. And if we're not loving one another, well, that's a major wrinkle. 